You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Okay, you ready to get into Galatians this morning, talk about freedom? I feel like a lot of the things we are discussing, this idea of being children of God, sons of God, uh, all of these ideas, heirs of God, we'll talk about this morning. These are central ideas in the scripture. And, and it's amazing me again, as I go through this, how Paul comes back to these truths over and over and over in his various letters. And it's because we need to know who we are. We need, we sang it this morning, God, I am who you say I am. The declaration of that truth in our lives is essential. And in order to be able to do that, because we are not who we used to be. We're not who people say we are. We're not who the world thinks we are. We are, if God says we are his children, we are his heirs, we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we are the healed going someplace to bring healing, whatever it is, if God says it, that is the truth. And what we feel doesn't matter. What people might say doesn't matter. Other people's viewpoints of us, it doesn't matter. Those things are not the truth. What God says is the truth. And so as we, as we dig through these scriptures, to me, I just feel like for some of us, it's new. For most of us, we've known these things. But boy, I just feel like the Lord wants us to soak in them and just really soak this up and saturate this so So let the Holy Spirit do that as we go through these verses. So last week we were looking at Galatians chapter 4, the first few verses. And I'm going to just try to quickly go back through those. Um, Verse 1 says, What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul here again is is making this comparison. He's drawing a situation that was totally common for them in the day. And he's, so he's, he's bringing this illustration up out of regular life. And he's, he's comparing life under the old covenant law, life under the law, and comparing that with life in the freedom and power of the Holy Spirit. Against, again, one of those, if you're living under the law, you were living under a set of outward restrictions. There was no power within you to overcome sin or to walk with God. There was strength on the outside of you from God's word, God's laws. There were regulations, there were restrictions that were there to serve you and keep you in line and headed toward the day when Messiah could come. But all of that was on the outside. Now on this side of the cross, we have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and we have the power of grace itself. Remember that grace does not just mean unconditional favor, unconditional uh, forgiveness. Grace is a flow of the life of God that pours out. It brings gifting. It brings power. It brings anointing. And so it actually, grace empowers us to fulfill the law from the inside. So Paul says, uh, you know, when the here, here's this child in a household, and again, that's that word that means an infant, some, uh, an infant, somebody who is totally dependent on the outward, totally dependent on somebody taking care of them, providing for them, all that, everything outside, 
They have no power within themselves. It's an infant. It says, you know, in, in that day before Christ came, before we had the opportunity to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, we were like infants. And, and it says, even though that child, that infant, technically and in potential and legally, he was an heir. He, he, he owned the whole estate. He would one day own the whole estate. But while he was a child, he had to be under these supervisors and these guardians. And we talked about it last week. That's how it is. When children are born, they need tremendous care. They also need more supervision and they need more boundaries than they do as they grow up, hopefully. And the whole point of raising children is to bring them into various stages, you know, progressive stages of maturity to where they can start to take on responsibility. They can start to function as a son, as an adult child in the family. And, and so that's what Paul's using that comparison and what he's, this whole analogy is describing the difference between living under that outward restriction of the law and in that way staying on the path and walking with God. The difference between that and living in the inward power of the grace of God. And we said this last week, and I don't want to go through the whole thing again. You guys have heard this many times. But, you know, the way that Jesus taught grace, this side of the cross actually requires more of us. Again, it's not just don't murder, it's don't stay angry with somebody, okay? It's not just don't commit adultery, it's don't look to lust. Why is that? Why does grace require more? Because grace empowers. Grace actually carries the ability to enable us to overcome sin and, and walk with God. So the the big comparison here is between this life of powerless dependence on works or ritual or tradition, uh, a set of do's and don'ts, dependence on that for your relationship with God or the powerful life of grace, knowing that you've been given this position with God and allowing uh, the grace of God inwardly, the Holy Spirit working in you, uh, your love for the Lord, your reverence for the Lord to to empower you to live according to God's ways and God's word. So he uses this terminology to do this. And in verse three, he says, so when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. world. And again, there, that word slavery right there doesn't mean a, a slave, a position of service. It means someone who is totally dependent on something. And so Paul uses this phrase, we talked about it last week, the basic principles of the world, to describe whatever that outward regiment might be that people would be dependent on. For the Jews, it was the law of Moses. Uh, for the Greeks, it was philosophy. And, but either way, prior to Christ coming, before the time came for Christ to come, people were dependent on something outward. And, and he calls it the basic principles uh, of the world later on, he calls these weak and miserable principles. The whole point is the, the law was just the rudimentary basics of understanding who God is and how, what he has for us and how he wants us to live. It was, the, it was the very smallest building blocks of that. And so the whole point is really what Paul is getting to here and what he's asking is, 
because he's talking primarily to Christians. He's asking, why would a Christian who has the opportunity to live in the grace of God, in the power of God, in the power to have, the, to have a, an ever-growing relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, to ingest the word, to have all this life on the inside, and, and, and the opportunity to grow up and, and become that adult child in the house and partner with God and work with him in his, uh, what he's doing in the earth. Why would a Christian that has the opportunity for all of that, why would they exchange that for going back under dead religion, for going back under living by a set of do's and don'ts? Why would they want to go back under the law? And that's exactly what was going on in these churches. People had come along behind Paul, who was preaching grace, and, and they had come along behind him and said, oh no, you've also got to keep the law. You've got to keep the feast. You've got to do this and do that and do it on the right day and keep these days holy and do all of this stuff. Otherwise, you're not right with God just because of Jesus. That was a lie. But our flesh, a lot of times, and we've seen this in people over the years, our flesh can crave a certain, to feel secure. We want a certain set of things to do. We want to know what foods can I eat and what can I eat? What, what days do I have to keep holy and what days, you know, are, are not? What, what, how do I, how do I, what are the specifics? How do I act? And rather than looking inward, a lot of people are more comfortable with an outward shell. They're more comfortable with a form of religion that is absolutely devoid of power. And that's what Paul's coming back to. And I mean, that's the big question in this whole book. He's asking them, what happened? He says that early in the early chapters, he says, who bewitched you? What happened here? He says, I'm, he at one point says, I'm really concerned about you. I feel like I'm, you know, he's essentially having to intercede for them until Christ is formed in you again and get in this, he's back in this birthing process with these people because they're going back under Law And I'm telling you, I mean, all that, we can stand here and talk about it and we can all say, oh, I would never do that. But law creeps up. It sneaks in. There's something about our natural being that just tends that way. And, and or, or we go into total, we think freedom means lawlessness. We think it means, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. Oh, I can just do anything. Jesus has forgiven everything. I can go out and do whatever I want, live any way I want. That's lawlessness. That's chaos. That is not living for God. And we seem to tend to do one or the other. So what's the solution? The solution is get born again, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and pursue your walk with God. Um, I don't remember if I said this to you last week or not, but there's a, there's a quote out there. I've heard Bill Johnson say it a number of times, but he talks about the fact that in our walk with God, God kind of think about this infant thing. God provides all of the things that we really absolutely need. I mean, he provides salvation. And in that salvation, there are things that we absolutely need. But he provided through Jesus the access to himself and the, and the forgiveness of sin and all of that's provided for us. We have to access it by faith, but it's given. But throughout our life, uh, it's, it, he puts it this way, the things that you really desire or the things that you want, you're going to have to pursue. And he's not talking about houses and cars and stuff like that. 
It's talking about, do you want a deep walk with God? Do you, want a, do you want a strong prayer life? Do you want to know him more and more and more, progressively know him every day? If you want that stuff, you and I, we have to pursue. And it's not that God's holding out on it, it's relationship. If you want a deeper relationship with somebody, you've got to pursue it. You've got to press in. You've got to give yourself to it. And it's the same with God. And we have our flesh to deal with. We have the world to deal with. We have these things. So we've got a decision to make. Do I want to grow up into a a sonship relationship, a partnership relationship? Do I want to grow into that? Or do I just want to sit here in my salvation until Jesus comes again or I die and go to heaven and say that's good enough? You know, I mean, what do you want in this earth? Because if you pursue, man, God God meets you there. It's just amazing what the Lord does. But so, you know, those are the decisions he's talking about here. So let's go on today. Uh, Let's look at verses four and five. I'm switching over to the New King James here. I guess we looked at this, uh, touched on this last week. I wanted to get this definition up on the screen for you so that, you know, if you want to take a picture of it, you can, whatever, so that you can... You can work with this in your own time and think about this. So in Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The NIV there said the full rights of sons. The word that's used there is a Roman idea, a Roman legal idea about adoption, what adoption was uh, in Rome. And so Paul pulls this in. And again, from um, this comes out of Zodiety's word studies, really good uh, Greek uh, expert. And he says this, this term adoption, when thus legally performed, put a person in every respect in the position of a child by birth so that he possessed the same rights and owed the same obligations. So once you were adopted, the idea that you had ever not been a part of that family went away completely. God is not thinking of you as an adopted child. You are a child of God. Get this. Just let it soak in. Don't let it bounce off. You are a child of God to the same degree that Jesus is a child of God. We're not Jesus. Everybody get that all the things I'm about to say, I'm not saying we're Jesus, nor will we ever be Jesus. However, God has a family. And you and I are part of it because we put faith in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We are in him. We are one with him. If he's one with the Father, we're one with the Father. Okay? If he's a part of the family forever, we're a part of the family forever. You've got to let some of that soak in because our our you know our minds, we we remember our past. We remember who we were. And sometimes, you know, we saying it this morning, it we can we can fail, but it doesn't end there. One of the reasons is because God sees us as a part of the family. We are not adopted children and less than. We are not just sort of attached to the family. We have the same rights as a child by birth. If, so, so we can think about the access 
that Jesus Christ has to the Father. We never think that the Father's going to reject him or be mad at him one day and, and, and not hear his prayer. You know, we never think that about Jesus, but we think it about us, and it's not true. It's a lie. It needs to be rejected. It needs to be rebuked. It needs to be cast down. You, you, when, you, when thoughts that come from shame and come from fear and come from, well, but I've done this and I've done that, that's all under the blood of Jesus. When those thoughts come, it is essential that you truly take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. This is a discipline. Make them obedient to the word of God. It's a discipline. I can't do that for you. You can, you can sit in the same thoughts about yourself and about life and about what's, you know, what you're experiencing for your whole life. And we can all love you and pray for you and know God has better for you. And we can't change it. You have to change it. And you have to actually recognize when thoughts come up that are contrary to the word of God and you need to internally and maybe vocally take them captive and take them captive, cast them down in the name of Jesus and replace them with what the word says about you. And you may have to do that for years. I mean, I think we all have to do that for years to have our minds renewed. What else have you got to do? You know, really, I mean, what, you know, what else is more important than, than being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, being conformed to that image? So we have the same rights as Jesus and we owe the same obligations. Jesus doesn't have a different life from the Father and the kingdom. doesn't mean, I mean, we all have, you understand what I'm saying. We all have, we have jobs, we have vocations, we have families. We have things to do, but the core of that being, the core of all of that, the foundation of all of that, is that we are kingdom people. We are about the work. What did Jesus say when he was 12 years old? They lost him, you know, they lost the Messiah. That's such a great story. And and yeah, and so they're so they're looking for him. And anyway, he says, well, where did you, you didn't realize I'd be in my father's house? You know, like where else would I be? And, and that needs to be, that's our heart. The same, the same rights and privileges, we enjoy that, but we also have the same obligations. And so something is expected of us because we've been adopted. Adoption anticipates the conformity of the child of God to the image of, Image, that means we look more and more like him. Purposes, we are more and more engaged with God's purposes in in everything in us and in others around us. And the interests of God, it, it anticipates conformity of the child of God to the image, purposes, and interests of God and to that spiritual family into which he's born. So the church is involved in this too. Your involvement, and I'm talking to all you who are here in church, okay, but... Your involvement, believers' involvement in the church, in the family, our care for one another, our prayer for one another, our service to one another, our outreach together, all of that is a part of being a Christian. 
It is absolutely a part of being adopted into the family. And we all know lots of people that just let that go. I think it's kind of a trend these days. They just let that go. It's a big mistake. And not only do you, you miss out on so much. It's like you're brought into this family and, and from the family's perspective, you've always been a member. It's just like you were born into the family because you were. Uh, but you just stay out and do your own thing and don't associate. You cut yourself off from so much care and so much synergy and just so many things by doing that. It's just such a huge mistake. Romans 8.29 tells us that for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That means he set the table. He put everything in order for a specific purpose. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God, that word predestined doesn't mean your choices don't matter. It's just not what that word means in the Bible. It means God made every provision for his desired outcome. He set the table. He made, he made every provision for you and I to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ then we have a choice to participate with them. Okay, but what a powerful verse. What a powerful verse. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. What an awesome, what an awesome passage. So in verse six here in Galatians chapter four, are you still with me? Uh, verse six so now Paul kind of switches and he says, because you are sons, and remember, this isn't a male-female thing. This is adult children, that partner. And, and I know I've probably said this to you 20 times. I don't care. I'm saying it again. Uh, that whole idea of partnership with him, being co-laborers with him, it, it's the idea in that word huias, that word sons, it's that idea that we work with the father in his business but it's also we carry the authority of the Father. We, we do things in his name. It's this whole partnership binding together situation. And Paul starts here to tell us, so what does this mean? Okay, you are sons, all right? And, and it says, because you are sons, not because you will be, not because someday when you get to heaven, this will be true. We love to set things aside into a time that we don't have to do anything about yet. Now, this will happen in the millennium. No, this says, because you are sons. All right. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That means heavenly daddy. It, it means it, Abba is the word for daddy. It's this, it's this loving uh well, it's daddy. I don't know how else to say it. You know, it's this, this endearment term. And that's the Holy Spirit that lives in us, approaches God in us and through us as daddy God. All right. There, it's, it's, it's not, this is a tough one. I think you'll understand what I'm saying. It's not master in the sense of I'm afraid of you. And if I don't do all the right things, I'm going to be injured. Master, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. You just tell me what, because I am terrified of you. It's not that. This is the real kicker about all this. God is 
father, he's daddy, he's friend. Jesus said, I don't call you my servants anymore, I call you friends. And the reason for that was because servants don't know the business. They don't, they don't know what we're, what we're doing, what, what the father's doing, but friends do. Part of the family does. There's this whole sense of being involved in what he's doing and him opening things to us. At the same time, so he's, he's daddy, he's friend, and he's Lord, and he, he is Lord. And we, again, tend to make him one or the other. We really like friend and daddy, that's good stuff. Lord, maybe, sometimes, some places. He is Lord, but he doesn't exercise his lordship the way an earthly ruler does. It's just not in his nature. He allows choice, but nevertheless, we need to understand he is Lord. And there are so many places, and I, I, again, unfortunately, I think this is really increasing in the American church, where, where we are not making him Lord. If we like what his word says, great. If we don't like something his word says, eh, we just blow that part off. That's not making him Lord. Lord is Lord, but it's not a fear relationship. I was thinking about this, that part of the reason we Westerners, at least here in America, I think we struggle with this concept of daddy and Lord together because we have, over the last couple generations, lost a vast amount of our respect for our parents, for our grandparents, for our elders. That's just not cool anymore. And we have really lost something culturally in not having that reverential, I don't mean in a, you know, like toward God, but I mean a reverential respect for our parents that actually drives our behavior. And I've told you before, there were, I did plenty of bad stuff, but there were things I chose not to do, opportunities I had, simply because I respected my father and mother, and we lived in a small town, and if I got busted, it would really impact their reputation, and something went off in my heart and said, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not saying by any means I was a good or perfect child. But that was at work there. There was some element of that. And I feel like for the most part, we've lost it. Part of it's parents' fault because they felt like they had to be their child's best friend. Part of it is, uh, you know, the helicopter thing comes into that. There's, there's just a different culture going on in parenting and we're kind of missing some of that. You don't beat that into children. You don't. I had that in my heart because... I don't know why I had that in my heart. My dad was a respectable man. I respected who he was. And and your dad, I respected who he was. And so there was something about the honor of the family name that we've really got to recapture as a culture. We've, we've, we've got to recapture that. And so it's a part of this, that yes, he's daddy and he's Lord. And those two are not, you know, uh, they are not mutually exclusive in any way. So the Holy Spirit in us, one of the things he does is he continually reminds us from the inside that we are the sons of God, the children of God. He continually reminds us of it inwardly and empowers us to live it outwardly. 
And it's one of his roles in us. He responds to the Father through us with this Abba, Abba Father. And yet, and so there's this inward driving to live a life that's pleasing to God. Not because we're afraid of him, because we love him, we honor him, we respect him. I, I want my life to be pleasing to God. And so that motivates some of what I do. It, it keeps me from doing things. It motivates me to do things. And there, it's just important for us to have this, this family idea. And yet there are a lot of folks, and I say this not, I don't mean this critically, it's just very sad. There are a lot of Christians that instead, they're, they're nervous about that level of intimacy maybe, but whatever it is, they'll exchange that for, a, again, for a form of religion or ritual, for a set of do's and don'ts. And, and in a set of do's and don'ts, you can really kind of keep God at a distance. I'm doing the right thing. Don't look too close. You know, I won't look too close. You don't look too close. I'll just do the things, okay? But the intimacy factor is gone, and the intimacy factor is where that power is. The intimacy factor is what changes our hearts. The intimacy factor of, of worship with the Lord and, and time, you know, in his word and meditating his word and really spending, you know, the book we're talking about for men's group, it's called Hosting the Presence. And it's just a tremendous reminder of, of that we are created to carry the presence of God in us and out into our communities and out into life. We, we are designed to actually host and house the presence of God. And it's that intimacy factor that is just so powerful. So, so um, and that, so this scripture that we're looking at right now says, so you are, I've got to start at the beginning. Because you are sons, God sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Again, we just don't respond out of fear. But a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. So this word heir comes up. And I mean, it's pretty obvious. An heir is somebody who receives wealth of one sort or another that was accumulated by the work of another. You're an heir, you're going to receive an inheritance. That's something somebody else laid up. Somebody else paid the price for. Jesus, in our case, paid the price for. And now we are heirs. Uh, this, this term that's used here, inheritance, one of the synonyms is it's a birthright. Okay, it's a right, a privilege, or a possession to which a person is entitled by birth, not performance. You didn't decide to be born into the family. I mean, in the family of God, yes, you made a decision for Jesus. But I'm talking about your natural family. If you have an inheritance, I didn't decide to be born into the family. I was born into the family. I didn't perform to be born into the family. And there's an inheritance. It's a free gift. You know, we get all bent out of shape about trust funders and... uh when I was much younger and stupid, um, stupider, uh, there was a point where oh, it was just a thing, you know. The, oh, he's a trust funder. He does nothing but fly at that time, fly his hang glider, you know, and all that. Well, I've come to realize there's nothing wrong. Actually, the Bible says that the good man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. 
for you know at least two generations. You know, this, this thing of laying up, then there's the responsibility to use the inheritance well. Okay, that's stewardship. We get that. But this generational wealth thing is a God thing. Okay, so who am I to criticize someone that has been blessed in that way? That just that kind of stuff getting bent out of shape. And all that is, you know what that is? That's covetousness. It's exactly what it is. I'm jealous because somebody else has more than I do and I think I ought to have it. And so I'm going to do this or do that or try to go through the law or whatever and get what they they have. You know, that's covetousness. So anyway, I'm going to get off of that. So let's go over to Romans chapter 8. We'll wrap this up. We only have a few minutes left. You still with me? Romans chapter 8, again here, Paul talks about all these same ideas. I'm going to begin in verse 14, because if I started at the beginning of the chapter, we'd be here for another seven weeks on this idea. Um, In verse 14, I'm back on the New King James. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Okay, that word led is the Greek word ago. It means, it means to go along with by accompanying. In other words, we're being led, but it's not like the Holy Spirit's way out in front of us. He's walking through life together with it. We are, we are letting him come arm in arm with us and walk us through everything. That's the Greek word ago. So as far as many as are allowing that type of relationship by the Holy Spirit, these are the sons of God. In other words, this is a part of sonship is we're in training all the time. We're walking with him. We're asking him questions. We are, we're in this conversation with the Holy Spirit all the time. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. So when the Holy Spirit came in us, it didn't just make us afraid to God. We better obey. We better do all the right stuff. He doesn't do that. It's not his heart. But you received the spirit of adoption. We know what that means, right? by whom or through whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So again, the the Holy Spirit in us reaches out to the Father God on this heavenly daddy uh, relationship. And then it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's a whole other teaching, but that's a really important verse when you're thinking about how to be, how to hear the voice of God, be led by the Spirit of God. The idea here is there are two voices that are harmonizing. One's the Holy Spirit, one's your born-again human spirit. And when those two sound in unison, we have this sense on the inside of this is what God's saying. This is the way I'm supposed to go. I've had a question in my heart. This is the way I'm supposed to go. It's not always a list of, of words. It's not a list of, of things. It's this inward knowing. It's just an inward knowing that this is the way God wants me to go. It's the Holy Spirit and your spirit actually sounding together, harmonizing together. And one of the things he does in that, he bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So my brain might be telling me all kinds of lies or somebody else might be telling me all kinds of lies or the devil might be telling me all kinds of lies. But in here, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're a child of God. You are a child of God. And it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order in that we may also be glorified with him. So again, it says in verse 16, the Holy Spirit testifies present tense with our spirit that we are present tense children of God. And get this, this seems really simple, but it says, and 
If your children, then your heirs. Stay awake. If, then. You know how those statements work. Both things have to be true. If your children, and a lot of us accept that, we're children of God, we're born again, we're, we're, we're members of the family, then your heirs. You have an inheritance along with Jesus. It says heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, right? If your children, then your heirs. There are a whole lot of believers that stop at I'm a child. But we have a hard time. Shame rises up and tries to tell us, yeah, but let's not talk about the inheritance. I don't deserve an inheritance. I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be strengthened. I don't deserve total forgiveness. I don't deserve what Jesus bought for me. That's what an inheritance is, is wealth that somebody else earned. And so this voice rises up in the inside and says, well, you don't deserve that. You, you can't have that. No, if you're a child, then you're an heir. If you're not an heir, then you're not a child. This is how God's family works, period, all right? If you're a child, then you're an heir. That's the way it is. Some, some people, you know, want to reject the, the rights, the privileges, and all of that, even the obligations, but I just want to go to heaven. That's really not the deal. If you're a child, then you're an heir, okay? That kind of Christianity, you'll focus on unworthiness. You'll think you can't have any authority in the name of Jesus. All that, all that makes some people really uncomfortable, okay? We are, present tense, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. You've inherited what Christ deserved. That's the way it is. You've inherited what Christ deserved, okay? And the second part of that is you have not inherited what God doesn't possess, so don't tell me God's put some sickness on you it's for your burden to carry because God is a healer. He is not a sick maker, okay? God, God has put this thing on me and it's just my burden to carry and, and you know, I just blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. You are not inheriting something that God doesn't have, all right? You are not inheriting condemnation in your life. You are not inheriting being less than. You are not inheriting failure. You are not inheriting any of those types of things that God doesn't have. You, you can't leave an inheritance to somebody of something that you don't possess. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're just going to read. Oh, this is the wrong. Why are all apps, all of the icons are blue with something white inside? I'm a color person. Karen actually reads words. It's an amazing thing, but it's like, oh, well, it was the same color, so I figured they were the same. Uh, I'm just going to read through this. We'll be done for today. I want to read, uh, you guys know these verses, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 29. Just let this soak into you, and we'll be done today. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Man, that's good. Who will bring any charge against us? 
all right, against those whom God has chosen. Is it God who justifies? In other words, no. The answer to that is no. God's not bringing a charge against you. He justified you, okay? Who is it that condemns Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Is he going to condemn you? No. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor the powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our inheritance. That's our inheritance. So when something else tries to come in and something that you just know is not a part, listen to, the, listen to that bearing witness on the inside. The Holy Spirit will tell you, no, that's not from your father. You're a son. You're in the business. You have the father's name. You have the name of Jesus. You have authority. Rebuke that thing and grab hold of the word internalize it until it is just so alive in you. The devil just gives that up. He may move on to something else, but now you know how to use the tools, right? All right, let's stand up and pray together. Did you get anything out of this today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, we love you so much. Father, what you have done for us in Jesus is honestly just, it is overwhelming. And it's been overwhelming for me for 40 some years. I mean, I I just, I don't want to get used to it. I want to be impacted by it every time I read these verses. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that. But Lord, we also realize we go out with all of that, all of that that we just read. It's, It's what you have given us. It's our inheritance. But Lord, our assignment is to take it out there and release it to people. Release the power and the life of, of God into their lives. Release the love of God into their lives. And we know that as we give it away, you just give us more. And that's all awesome. But Lord, I just pray that, Father, send us out. Just the way it said that your son at the right time was sent forth to redeem us, Lord. Send us forth. Send us out into our lives, our businesses, our associations this week and show us the opportunities where we can reach people and touch people, bring life and healing to people, Lord. We are ready to go. We are sons. We are we us. We are in partnership with you. So, Lord, just direct us. Give us the steps. Give us the direction, Lord. We thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Uh, okay. What's up? Oh, baby bottles. Yes. There are, <laughs> there are baby bottles out there. They're on the back table. So you can pick them up back there. Uh, there are more than what's sitting there. We don't have a room for a lot. So if, you, if you, we run out or something, talk to Wendy or Bonnie and pick those up, stuff them, bring them back. There's a, there's a bucket out there for you to put them in. So, All right. So we're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. You're going to have a baby this week? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Father, we just keep praying. I just, I keep, we keep praying for you, Lord. I just thank you for peace. We thank you, Lord, for what you shared with us at the last remedy, Lord. Just that incredible supernatural sense and surrounding of peace. 
Lord, on, on Logan, certainly, and on the whole family, on that baby, Lord, we thank you for that lively, wonderful birth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.